something awesome about football because the energy that football brings, right? Like when we watch the games, there's something about like them coming through the tunnel with fire shooting out and pyrotechnics everywhere. You got like the jets that fly over the stadiums. Everyone's like losing their minds because there's so much energy with football. We love it because you got all these guys screaming, pounding their chest. And when they get touchdowns, they like spike the ball down. And there's just like, there's this, I don't know, testosterone out the window, okay? It's like, it's just, there's amazing amount of energy going into football. Um, But it also reminds me too that like football is like the ultimate sport where guys get to just pump themselves up, right? Like they just, they love pumping themselves up, kind of beefing up who they are. Like when they make a play, they tackle someone, they they sack them, it's just like they go down and then they just do these crazy dances, you know. I'm not even going to make up a celebration dance for you because that would just be awkward, all right. But they love just like, you know, there's like, there's this amazing amount of like, hey, check me out. The crazy thing, too, is that the players that make the biggest fuss on the field are usually the ones, if they back it up, that get the biggest contract, too. Isn't that true? Like, they just get all this attention out there, and the more attention that they get and the better plays they make, like, the bigger the contract is. And so you get a lot of players that'll just do anything to get that. And there's so much of us, I mean, don't tell me this is not you. There's so much of us that when we watch them celebrate like that, that we're like, all right, that's kind of rude. But the other half of us is like, man, that's pretty cool, you know. I wish that was me. And you can't tell me that there's not a few people in your mind right now that you'd love to have a Gronk spike in front of, boom, and just be like, booyah, what's up? You know, in your face. I'm telling you, like, there's there's a number of people in our life that you'd love to do that in front of, right? You'd love to do the trash talk and back it up because it would just feel so good, right? Now, here's the crazy thing. We're working through the values of Jesus today and over the past couple of weeks, and the values of Jesus go against everything that we naturally are inclined to do. Because Jesus, when he came into this world, he set up a movement that would literally change the world. And so these eight values called the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Now we're going to hang out in verse 5 of chapter 5, and and today is going to be a wild Sunday. Um, But every single one of these values set themselves up as a counterculture. To flip the world as we know it upside down uh, and really kind of tell us that backwards is forward, front is back, the people we thought were in are out, and the people we thought were out are in. Everything's upside down, and Jesus is upside down kingdom. And these eight values are what set themselves up as like this is what ought to mark the people of God. This is what m- these people that follow my kingdom, this is what sets them apart. And so we've been working through it. First week we looked at Jesus said, blessed are, and every one of these has blessed are, meaning uh, happiness to, pleasure to, delight to, those who follow these. The first one was blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning those who come to God and feel like they have nothing to offer him. And then last week we looked at blessed are those who mourn. Meaning that, man, we've got to just get honest about how broken this world is and how broken we are. Today we're going to talk about blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, that's what Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now let me ask you a question. How, many, how often have you heard someone use the word meek uh, last week? <laughs> we don't use this word in our everyday language. And my guess is you wouldn't take it as a compliment if someone came up to you and said, hey, you know, I heard the word meek this week and the first person who came to mind was you. You're so meek. And you'd be like, Oh, thanks. You know, I mean, like for a lot of us, when we hear that word, we're like, we don't have great connotations with it. You know, in our minds, we, we, we might think of 
you know, someone who's weak, uh, someone who's maybe timid or, you know, kind of under the radar. When I think of the word meek, I think of, you know, baby Jesus, meek and mild, right? You know, we think of a baby who's just, like, there's not a whole lot of strength and not a whole lot of power and control in that. Like when we think of meek, we can't help but think of weak. And these images of kind of soft and subservient kind of come to mind, maybe kind of like this picture. You ever seen this, Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Look, guys in the room, just be honest. If you were going to go take the hill in battle and this guy was leading you, how much confidence would you have? This is Jesus with like the soft hands, you know, and the soft face and the soft skin and like the soft appearance. And he's got this soft, cute little lamb in front of him. This is lamby Jesus. Do you want to know who the real Jesus is? The real Jesus got stupid mad at some moments. All right, you ready? Not, not even joking. This is what he did. He went into the temple at one moment, and he saw people who were abusing the temple, uh, an institution, an, an area, an environment that was designed to help introduce people to the love of God, and he saw people taking advantage of it, and he got mad. This is what was happening. People would come from all over uh, the Israel area, and, and they would come to offer sacrifices to kind of get right with God, uh, and they would, uh, they would have to have some sort of an animal, whether it was a dove or a lamb, but a lot of people traveling from great distances didn't have it. And so some people got the bright idea, hey, we can make some money off this. And so they set up some table inside the temple and said, hey, we'll offer you a dove, but it's going to cost you. Hey, we'll get you a lamb, but it's going to cost you. And so they got rich off of it. And Jesus came in and he said, how dare you make my father's house into a den of thieves and robbers? And he flipped over their tables, scattered the coins everywhere, and even made a whip and drove them out. You know what lamey Jesus would have said? He Please stop, you know, might hurt my little whammies. That's not whammy Jesus. The real Jesus is not little lammy Jesus. He got mad sometimes, like really mad sometimes. And yet we're still faced with the reality that Jesus is described as meek. He called himself that. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle. And the same word for gentle is the same word for meek. He said, I'm meek and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Even as Jesus was walking into the biggest moment of his life on, on planet earth, as he's, as he's culminating the end of his, his ministry in, you know, as a human being, he's, he's, he's about to go into Jerusalem and have this huge moment where he's going to die on the cross for us. And yet, when he comes in to fulfill everything about who he is, he doesn't come on a war horse like most movements back in the day. What did he do? He came on on a donkey. Check this out. I mean, in Matthew 21, 5, it says, See, your king comes to you gentle. Again, the, the same word for gentle is meek. Your king comes to you meek and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It wasn't, it wasn't a war horse. It wasn't even a horse. It wasn't even a donkey. It was the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes in kind of meek. And so he gets really angry on, on some moments, and you can see the power kind of displayed through Jesus. And then in other moments, he seems super meek. So how do, you, how do you fit these two things in our mind? How do we do this? So here's what we have to understand. The first thing we, we're going to understand when it comes to meekness here is that uh, we have to understand what meekness is not. Meekness is not weakness. It's a rare quality of strength. Meekness is not weakness. It's a rare form of strength. And here, here's what I mean by this. 
Yes, Jesus is going to say in just a few verses later, I mean, if you, if you look in, in Matthew 6, uh, 38, uh, it says, yeah, I mean, you've heard it said, uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, res- don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone takes your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, you've got to go two miles. I mean, Jesus is going to say that in a few verses, but meekness is not weakness. It's a rare form of strength, and here's why. Meekness is all about withholding your power and your strength for the sake of other people. And that takes a crazy amount of strength on the inside to do that. Jesus wasn't a pushover. He didn't get rolled over. He withheld something that he had so that he could lift other people up. That's what meekness is. Uh, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he'd been pouring his heart out to God, preparing for this moment where he's going to give his life on the cross for the sake of the world, uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's in agony over this. And then in, in just a, a few seconds later, his betrayer Judas comes and he brings with him this whole guard that's about to go carry Jesus away. These are Jesus' enemies and they want nothing less than his death. And in that moment, his disciples catch it. They know what's about to happen. And so Peter, one of, one of his right-hand guys, pulls out a sword and whack, cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's servant's ear. And in that moment, I mean, if you think about this, I don't know if you guys have had some moments where somebody has lashed out at you, you've gotten abused, or someone said something nasty or cutting, they had nothing but like bad things in mind for you. It's so easy to go there in our hearts and being like, man, I, I wish disaster on you. You know, we want, them, we want, man, we want them to get what, what, what they deserve, right? Jesus, in that moment, he said, hey, put that sword away. Put it away. That's not what I'm about. You know what I'm about? He says, put your sword away. This is Matthew uh, uh, 26, 53. It says, do not think that I've come to call on, um, or, or put your sword back in your place. Do you think that I couldn't call on my father, meaning God, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, meaning If I wanted to get myself out of this, I could do it. I've got all the power in the universe. Put your sword away. That's not why I came. And I'm willing to get abused for a bigger purpose. There's something more than just me at stake here. And I want to be about something bigger than just my safety. Look, every one of us in life are going to get taken advantage of. And people are going to want to abuse you and say mean things to you. And, and dis, I mean, tear your reputation apart, you name it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what your situation is, but I, I bet every single one of us in this room right now could think of somebody who is not, does not have your best in mind. <laughs> I was coaching my kid's soccer game yesterday. And if you want to get your kids to just like kick the ball really hard, you just you know, like, like think about your worst enemy and put that face on, on the soccer ball. Have you ever heard that before? Like, man, just kick that. Like, I feel like every one of us, we can imagine someone like that. But here's what Jesus says. The road to taking ground in this world is not through retaliation, it's through weakness. It's, it's through meekness. Check this out. I, I was trying to think about how do we understand this because we don't want to just set ourselves up to be abused in this world. But we do want to follow Jesus. So what does that look like? Anybody ever seen the movie 42? Jackie Robinson? Just a couple people? No, like, seriously, how many people have seen 42? Wow, man, you guys got to watch this movie. All right, wow, we got a lame crowd. I feel like every time I ask people if you guys, like, watch a cool movie, you're just like, no, 
All right, maybe we'll just have a movie night here sometime. You guys can watch some cool movies. Anyway, 42 is about Jackie Robinson. Do people know who Jackie Robinson is? If you don't, you've got to know this guy because he's a really cool guy. Uh, He was the first African-American baseball player uh, to play in the major leagues. And uh, man, everything changed after he played. Uh, And the movie really captures the whole story and the tension of what uh, this race conflict looked like back in his day and age uh, and what it meant for him to be this first black baseball player. It was amazing. Um, but the, the, the movie has um, uh, Harrison Ford who plays this guy named Ricky Branch and he's the manager that recruits Jackie Robinson to come play. And there's a couple of really amazing scenes. But in the, the first scene where they two, the two of them interact, Jackie Robinson and Ricky Branch, uh, it's capturing this moment where, where Ricky's trying to catch, capture this vision of why he's inviting him to play in an all-white league. And he's talking about it and he said, I want you to come play. But you've got you to embrace yourself because you're going to get abused. They're going to say things. They're going to try to tear you apart. They're going to try to get you to do bad things. And, and you've got to stand your ground. And Jackie Robinson looks at him at one point and he says, so you're telling me you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? And Ricky Branch says this. It's so powerful. No, I want a player with the guts not to fight back. And this is what Ricky Branch says. He says, people are not going to like this. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Echo a curse with a curse and they'll only hear yours. Follow a blow with a blow and they'll say, a Negro lost his temper. That Negro doesn't belong. Your enemy will be out in force, but you cannot meet him on his own ground. We win if the world is convinced of two things. That you're a fine gentleman and a great baseball player. And as he kind of steps aside for a second, he reflects on his own faith. And this is a true story. You can actually look it up. It's true. He says, like our Savior, you got to have the guts to turn the other cheek. And he asks him, can you do it? And in kind of a, a moment of silence there, it's so great, Jackie Robinson looks at him and says, you put a number on my back and I'll give you the best I got. It's awesome. Now, later in the movie, like, that's a good moment where we can kind of wrestle with it intellectually, you know, and, and, and Jackie Robinson kind of gets it, and he's like, yeah, I'm in. But later in the movie, kind of, you know, everything hits the fan. And he's, he's at the plate. He's about to go, you know, swing and hit. And then, you know, behind his back, he can hear the opposing coach start calling out names. And he starts calling him all sorts of ethnic slurs and nasty things this and nasty things that. And you can see it happening in Jackie Robinson's brain. I mean, he's like, this hurts. It stings. I don't want to do this. And as soon as his at-bat is over, he runs back into the tunnel, the dugout, and he screams. Because it just, I mean, it hurts so bad to get abused like that. He breaks his bat against the wall. Everything shatters and his world is just crumbling in that moment. And then Ricky Branch is so cool. Like he walks up the tunnel and he gets behind him and he says, hey, man, I get it. I get it. This is going to get worse before it gets better. But here's what you got to know. In the frustration, he puts an arm around him and says, you can't quit now. Because the moment you quit, they win. You can't quit. He says, you're medicine, Jack. This is the power of meekness. When we can step into a situation And take on the abuse so that a greater cause can happen and so other people can get loved. That's the power of meekness. That when you say nothing to your abuser so that other people can win and other people can get loved and other people can advance, 
you have a power that they don't have. And in a lot of ways, you never lower yourself to their standard. What you do is you're the bigger man in that moment. You're the bigger woman. And you show them they have no power over you. You're going to love. And God's going to do something great. This is how we follow Jesus. Meekness is not weakness. It's a rare form of strength. It's refusing to play their game. Withholding your strength so other people can advance. And one commentator put it this way. True meekness may be the quality of the strong, those who could assert themselves but choose not to do so. The strong who qualify for this blessing are the strong who decline to domineer. Self-assertion is never a Christian value. Rather, it is, the Christian, uh, it is Christian to be busy in lowly service and to refuse to engage in the conduct that nearly, merely advances one's personal aims. In other words, life is a lot bigger than just you and me. What God wants to do in and through us in the lives of other people is so much bigger. And sometimes it may come at the cost of your own personal expense. But here's what we have to understand. We only gain ground with other people when our defenses go down. This is just true, guys. (laughs) You only gain ground. Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. You only gain ground when your defenses are down. I'm telling you, husbands, like there's some moments where you're going to get some tension in your marriages. You guys heard me talk about, you know, a moment a couple weeks ago where things weren't great, you know, for me and Charity. And she confronted me on some things that, you know, I was, I was not in a great place over. And I needed to just say, I'm sorry. And instead I did this, you know. And husbands, whenever you do that, man, you lost. I don't care if you're right. The moment you put up your dukes like this, man, you put a barrier between you and your spouse and you're going to lose every time. But when you come in meekness and gentleness and self-control, that's when you start gaining. That's when you start gaining in that audience. Now, something that's really important to understand here, maybe some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just want me to take the abuse every time. You just want me to be abused? This is so important. Jesus was not a doormat. He's not asking every one of us to just be a doormat for other people to walk all over. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus, and and this is kind of what we have to reconcile in our minds right now. It's never okay to just be abused just for abuse sake. If you're in an abusive relationship or in an abusive workplace and there's no redeeming qualities to that at all, you got to get out. You just got to get out. What we got to filter is, is if there is a redeeming quality to this. If there's a moment where you can take the hit so someone else can, can get loved. If you can take the hit so that God's glory can be displayed. If you can take the hit so that someone else can be uh, loved and taken care of. That's what meekness is. Meekness is not just letting someone walk all over you. Okay, that's so important. Do not hear me say, man, we just got to, you know, get abused every single moment. Like that is not what Jesus is about. In fact, when we look at the example of, of uh, Jackie Robinson, it takes a really strong person to stand in the gap and take the blow, not because the, the whole point was just that he gets nailed, but so that other people, you know, the whole baseball system, really so much of the civil rights movement could actually prevail. So you got to think about what is the redeeming quality. And the whole, the whole principle is really like, what, this isn't about you. It's not about you, it's about other people. And this is what marked the early church. They were willing to get abused so that the gospel could advance. This is so cool. There was a moment where uh, the, the uh, religious elite pulled them aside and said, hey, you've got you to stop talking about this Jesus because there were so many people that started following them. They're like, I want in, I want in, I want in. And the religious people said, no, 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 no. you've got to stop this. 
And the early church was willing to get abused and, and willing to get taken advantage of because they said, man, no, Jesus is real. I can't stop talking about this, no matter what the cost. And at one point, they, they jailed them, and they actually beat the tar out of them. I mean, they, they flogged them. And their disciples' response was this. It said they, they counted themselves, like they praised God. They walked out of getting flogged, praising God, having been counted worthy for suffering disgrace for the name. I mean, how many of us are walking into our workplaces with that kind of attitude? Man, if people know that we follow Jesus and, and we could get abused, you know, people could make fun of us. How many of us, are, our inclination, our, our first inclination is, man, I can't wait to, be, to, th- to think that I could be counted worthy to suffer disgrace like Jesus. That's what meekness is. And in Romans 12, Paul put it this way as he's talking about the early church. He says, don't take revenge, my dear friends. When people want to take advantage of you and abuse you and harm you, don't take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, man, you want to get back at the people who are hurting you? (laughs) Love them. Because in doing this, you're going to heap burning coals on their heads. Do not become overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. we got to take the higher ground. we got to take the higher ground. And if we love other people and take our defenses down to love them and to help other people thrive, that's when we're going to start taking ground. Now, how do you get to this place? How do we get to this place? Well, everything in our culture is working against us here because I feel like everything in our culture is telling us, man, it's the person who asserts themselves in powerful ways that gets to the top. Those are the ones who advance, right? I mean, very few of our politicians have gotten to where they are without being bold and brash and self-assertive and very self-defensive. You know, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. They're terrible, they're terrible, they're, they're, they're terrible. You know, very few of our politicians get to the top without doing that. And we've already seen in the football field, like those who are the most brash and brazen, like those are the ones who tend to get the biggest contracts. And so, man, it's, there's so much of us on the inside that says, that's how we get ahead in life. That's how we get ahead. We just got to, you know, defend ourselves and assert ourselves. We got to throw our weight around. And I'm telling you, parents, this is the easiest thing to do <laughs> with your kids. If your kids are not behaving well, the easiest thing to do is just say, hey, stop it. Shut up and listen to mom and dad. And they're like, why? Because I said so. Look, I'm telling you right now, parents, you could win the fight in that moment, but that's a short-lived win. I mean, you could slap a band-aid on in that moment, but you did not win your kid's heart. If you say, just because I said so, and you use that every time, you're going to continue to alienate your kids one step at a time because you have not won their hearts. And I can't even tell you how easy that is as a parent. Because, man, like, there's some moments where, like, kids just drive you nuts, right? You just want to be like, I'm tired, don't want to deal with it right now, just go up to your room. You know, like, I'm, I'm just done. You know, like, I just, like, I, I want to just be done sometimes with it. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you enter the road of meekness, that's when you start gaining ground. And I'm telling you, when you get down at your kid's level and you start looking them in the eye and say, hey, Let's talk. Like, hey, what's, what's bothering you, you know? And you get right at their eye level and you, you start talking it out. And you start listening to their heart and not just their behavior. That's when great influence happens. And that's when they know that you're for them, not against them. Man, this works too uh, when your boss 
Yeah, I mean, if, if there's a boss, if, if you guys are boss in this room, uh, it is so tempting in moments of conflict when people are not following uh, your vision or following your culture, it is so tempting in that moment to just be like, uh, who's in charge? Who's in charge? You're not. I am. This is what we're doing. You could get a short-term win in that moment, folks, but you have lost all credibility with that person. That's a huge amount of chips you got to cash in there, and you're not going to win. Because in the end, you've lost the people that you're working with. And I'm telling you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it in your marriage. It's not worth it in your workplace. It's not worth it in your parenting. Because the way to influence is through meekness. It's getting down at their level and saying, I'm going to refuse to exercise all of my power and control of what I, I fully have so that I could love you in this moment, even if it means I'm going to become vulnerable to abuse. And parents, do kids abuse us sometimes? <laughs> you better believe they do. Look, man, I got a little one about this big, and she's a tyrant sometimes. You know what I mean? There's a, like a lot of power packed into a pint-sized person, all right? So, but this requires a tremendous amount of humility. This is another side of meekness here. We've got to be humble enough to get ourselves in a place where we can start loving people and exercising that influence by lowering ourselves down so we can raise other people up. And some people, we got to understand humility in this. Some people falsely understand humility. There is a false humility and a true sense of humility. Some people look at those who are just like, you know, they're always down on themselves and they're always like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not really great and other people are just a lot better than me. And we think, oh man, that person's a super humble person. But often, the people who are the most self-deprecating are often the most prideful people because they're constantly looking at themselves. They're always looking at themselves and saying, I'm, I'm less than, I'm less than, I'm less than, I'm less than. But guys, humility, this is amazing. Humility is not about you. Humility takes on a whole new powerful form. And I love how Tim Keller puts this. He reflects on C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, uh, where C.S. Lewis talks about humility. And, uh, and Keller put it this way that really just started shifting my perspective on this. He said, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity makes a brilliant observation about gospel humility at the very end of his chapter on pride. If we were to meet a truly humble person, think about this, Lewis says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us uh, that they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seemed to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less than myself. It's thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It's, it's an end to such thoughts as, I'm in this room with these people, does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. The person who's truly meek forgets all about self and starts thinking about other people, even if it comes at great cost to self. Man, whatever I can do to love other people, I'm willing to take that hit because those people matter. True humility is not thinking more or less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself, um, it's thinking about yourself less. 
just, you don't enter your mind as much anymore. I love that. And I think what it is, too, is the other side of humility here is not only being willing to take the hit, but taking a true view of yourself. Anybody sometimes feel like they're a little bit more puffed up than they really are? I mean, honestly, if we're constantly thinking about ourselves, we probably have a distorted view of who we are. We probably think we're better than we really are. But the essence of meekness is really understanding, man, God's the only perfect one here. I'm kind of a broken mess sometimes. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He said, meekness is essentially a true view of self, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. The man who's truly meek is the one who's amazed that God and other people can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. You only gain ground when your defenses are down. This is what's so important about this. You only gain ground when your defenses are down. Um, and when you take a true view of yourself. I, I, I heard a, this pastor in Vancouver recently. Uh, he planted a church about eight years ago. Uh, and when he planted the church, uh, he was super nervous about getting it off the ground uh, because he was so different from all the other people. He, he planted in a kind of a well-to-do neighborhood and other people around and it seemed like they had all their stuff together. And the pastor that God had called to help start this thing had Tourette's. Like, he wasn't perfect. And sometimes he'd say some things that just flew out of his mouth and he'd like twitch and stuff, you know. And, and he, he went to his mentor at one point and he said, look, this isn't going to work. And he's like, why? Because I got Tourette's and I'm like, I'm not perfect. I, I feel like I'm just a big time mess and everyone that's around me just is so put together. How in the world is this going to mesh? And he said, no, no, no. His mentor looked at him and said, no, no, this will work. And here's why. You're going to give them permission to not be perfect. And that's exactly what they need. You're going to give them permission to not be perfect. And guys, sometimes, like, it might seem like some things fly out of my mouth on stage where, like, you don't know exactly what's about to be said. I'm telling you right now, it's really intentional for my end because you have to know that I'm so far from perfect. We are an imperfect crowd that God has gathered together as a hospital of sinners, not a haven of saints. Because he wants to do something great in your life and in my life, and it doesn't take perfect people for that. It takes people who are just willing to say, God, here's what I got, and it's a whole lot of nothing. You guys need the permission to not be perfect and to follow Jesus in that. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, if we approach the world around us, here in Nashua and in your neighborhood and in your workplace and even with your kids, and you give them this permission to not be perfect around you, that's when you start gaining influence. It's not when you are presenting yourself, like, and, and some of you, you're nervous to share the gospel about Jesus with your coworkers. You're nervous about that because you feel like you have to have all your arguments so perfect and so airtight and like they can't argue against you at all, you know, or you're gonna lose. That's not how you win people. Man, the, one of the greatest gifts that you can offer people is letting them know you're not perfect because it's true, right? And if someone has a question that you can't answer, one of the best gifts you can give them is, man, I don't know. I don't know, but let's journey together in that. We need to give people the permission to not be perfect, and that is one of the greatest gifts that meekness can give. Guys, this is one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. If they, if you, if they get the sense that mom and dad are always, 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 always right, then they're going to grow up with a false sense of reality, and they're probably going to get more and more alienated from you. I'm telling you, one of the greatest gifts that you can give them is just like getting down at their level and saying, man, mom and dad, we messed up today. I'm sorry, guys. 
we're not perfect either. We need Jesus just as much as you do. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give your friends. Meekness. This is amazing. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, when he's talking to a crowd in, in uh, Galatia, he's talking about how do you confront someone who's got a mess, you know, who's just kind of broken and, and maybe has hurt you. And he said, this is how you confront sin. You ready? In Galatians 6, it says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone has hurt you, this is what you're supposed to do. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. And the word gently there is meekness. You should restore him in meekness. But watch yourself or you too may be tempted. Here's what he's saying. You want to help restore someone? You want to help take care of them? You want to kind of help, you know, meet that moment there? You've got to do it through meekness. By letting them know you're not perfect. And caring for them to, to win them over. And I'm like, this, this so applies to disciplining in parents. Guys, have you ever, like parents in the room, have you ever disciplined your kids just because they were inconvenient to you? And said, hey, go to your room. I don't want to deal with this. Paul says, man, you got to do it to restore them and to love them and do it in meekness. Get down at their level. Love them in this. If you've ever confronted your spouse, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> if you do it to win the argument, you're going to lose every time. But if you do it to love them and take care of their heart in meekness, you're going to win every time. You only gain ground when your defenses are down. That's how it works. In sharp contrast, I mean, we, we see it like if you try to win the argument, again, you just create that distance between you and someone else. If someone hits you, boom, and you hit right back, I don't care if you, if you knocked them on the ground flat with an argument or you know, physically. Like, you've lost in that moment every time, every time. I think it's one of the most compelling things about comedians, you know? Like, they're so willing to make fun of themselves, right? And, it, like, if, you ever, if you've ever been at a party and someone's, like, willing to let loose and just joke about themselves constantly and, like, just, you know, I mean, just, they've, they've, they've almost lost sense of self and they're just, like, super goofy. Everyone's drawn to that person because they've just lost this sense of self-defense and self, you know, inflation. And they're just, they're willing to be there with people and care for them. We only gain ground when our defenses are down. Now, the last question we've got to ask ourselves here is really like, how in the world can you make your defenses down? Because there's so many people that are going to take advantage of you on this. Here's where the power of the gospel comes in. The only way that you can truly let your guard down is realizing that the king of the universe let his guard down for you and me. You see, when Jesus was nailed to a cross and he's hanging there, and his accusers are hurling insults at him and had nailed him and did everything to destroy his life. They said, look, you who saved others, you, why don't you take yourself down? Why don't you save yourself? Jesus could have. He could have called all these angels to take himself off the cross, but he didn't. He still stood there and hung there for you and for me. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He took all of that abuse so that the sin that separated us from our Heavenly Father could be forever removed and you could have paradise with God, the perfect God. All of that, all your sin, all your past, all your guilt, all your shame, completely erased so that we could be with him for all eternity. Jesus broke all of his defenses and all of the weight that he could have pushed around to make himself look great, he tore all of that down so that we could be reunited with our Heavenly Father. And if he did that for us, can't we do that for others? That's the power of the gospel. And that's how we, in Ephesians 4, can say, 
live a a life worthy of the calling you've received, be completely humble and meek, be patient, bearing with one another in love. The only way you can do that is by embracing the gospel and letting that so transform your life. So I guess the question for us today is this, like, man, who do you got to be meek with today? <laughs> who, whom in your life do you have this going on right now? And sparks are flying and, and things aren't awesome. And you feel like, man, you got to get right with that right now. And the road is not to win. The road is to influence. And that road of influence is through meekness. And if it means maybe taking a hit so they, you can love that other person or maybe taking a hit so you can love other people, so be it. Who do you got to be meek with? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would embrace this counterintuitive value. Because it grades against every natural instinct. (laughs) But God, I pray that our church would be the kind of church that would embrace it. And that you would give us so much influence. So much influence in our marriages and in our families. So much influence in our friendships and in our neighborhoods. So much influence in our workplaces, God. Not for our sake. And not so that we can advance our personal agenda. But so that the name of Jesus can be lifted up. And so many, God, hundreds and thousands could could know the freedom that they have in Christ. And the love that you so poured out for us, God. Freely. Let us be people who are willing to take the hit so that we can love this world in a way that it desperately needs. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of that faith who endured the cross for our sake. We love you, Jesus. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us. Let it change us. In Jesus' name, amen.